Oh my god, is it this weekend you're changing the tires? Probably. It's nice out, so might as well do it now. True. Is it bad to drive on them for, like my dad said, like if it's over seven degrees, don't drive on your winter tires. Uh, Yeah, he's probably, I don't know. I I think you could, I've heard a lot of different things. I drove them through a summer and they got ruined. But they weren't. That everyone told you not to do that. Yeah, but it was COVID. All right. <laughs> but why? Why would that change? Being able to change your tires. Well, I wasn't using my car very much. Hello, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Writers Group Book Club. We are a group of authors actively honing our craft while encouraging each other and our audience to just keep writing. We each have a project in the ghost. We take turns reading each other's newest drafts and discussing them here. Uh, if you would like to read along, you can find some of our latest work posted on patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Jess's book, Ides of August, and uh, being a good beta reader. Is that right? You got it. All right, let's do it. Oh, yes. The beta reader. The elusive beta reader. If you've been um, in the writing space for a little bit of time where you got some experience writing fan fiction, you probably know what a beta reader is. But basically, it is the person that you send either your first draft to or a selection of writing to, and they read it and they provide you with feedback. It's important that if you want to get serious about your writing, you consider getting a beta reader. Why should you? Well, for many reasons. The number one being you are too attached to your work. And I know there are people listening right now that are going to be like, oh, no, I take criticism. Well, it's fine. I can zoom out and look at my own writing, you know, and objectively and blah, blah, blah. And I'm here to tell you that you are actually too attached to your work and that you are not a reliable judge of what your flaws and strengths are. Trust me on this. You will also not grow without proper criticism. A beta will make your book better. They will point out where the issues are in your stories and maybe even have suggestions for how to fix them. Not only that, on the flip side, you also need the confidence boost you get from someone actually enjoying your work as well. That's the bread that keeps you going. What will a good beta do? They're going to point out the flaws in storytelling honestly and they'll do so with tact. They will show you trends in your storytelling or writing that need to be fixed. For example, one of my beta readers, when I was writing my first romance novel, pointed out that I was not addressing the aristocrats in my story properly. And it was an issue throughout my entire novel that had to be fixed. Um, But having someone point that out was like supremely useful to me because I was not raised um, in British aristocracy We typically don't call people my lord, my lady anymore, Um, but it really also enhanced the believability of my story. And so that was fantastic. Uh, Now I don't make that mistake anymore. It's actually improved my writing. They will also be able to clearly tell you what they liked and what they didn't like about your work. So it's important to have like a bit of both um, from your beta reader. So you know, you don't want someone that's just going to give you criticism. You also want someone who's going to tell you what's working well so you can do more of it. And like I said before, you need to have a bit of a confidence boost um, to keep you writing. So it's important to have both. 
a good beta won't act like a spell checker unless you specifically ask them to or they are offering that service within their beta reading. They also won't be outrageously mean. I just think it's ridiculous if people are very mean about your work. Um, They're not doing their jobs properly and you don't have to go back to them for any feedback. You can find someone else who can actually be nice because there's something to like in everybody's writing. And, you know, people who are writers understand that it's a very difficult thing to do. And I think people should, everyone can be a writer. And if you're brave enough to put your stuff out there, people don't have to be mean about it. So a good beta will not be outrageously mean to you. A good beta will not only read like a few sentences or a part of your work or flip through your work and read different parts. They should really agree to read the full piece that you're handing them over so they get a full sense of who you are as an author as well as where the story is going. And they also will not give you vague and unspecific feedback. So one of the things you really need when you're trying to write write your second draft is specific feedback about character, plot, setting, theme. So for example, I liked that or I thought it was good. Uh, Those don't cut it for making your story better. And this is maybe a bit controversial because Stephen King disagrees with me on this. However, his wife is also a writer, but I just think passing off your manuscript to like friends or family or people who aren't readers normally or you know it isn't really their genre they haven't expressed a lot of interest in your work I just think it's never a great idea because you're not going to get the feedback you actually need to take your story to the next level so whenever you're doing a beta exchange or you're passing your work off to someone just make sure it's someone who has some experience has maybe done this before and is really willing to like dive deep with you and give you constructive criticism that will make you a better writer. This is the Writers Group Book Club. So at some point in your life as a writer, you will likely be a beta for someone else as well. Beta exchanges are really popular. Writing groups are super popular. So here are some tips on how to be a good beta for another person. So ideally, the selection that you get, you'll read twice. You will take time to jot down your first impressions right away after that first read. So what were you drawn to? What were what made you bored? What could you just not get behind? Things like that. Anything that jumps out of you, you write down right away. You give positive feedback in one block and negative feedback in another. So this is a really good piece of advice because people generally... <laughs> If you're giving negative and positive feedback, and I do this on the podcast all the time, so maybe going forward, I'll try not to do it as much. Um, People generally only hear the good things you say and sometimes block out that criticism when it's like peppered throughout. So you want to make sure that like you really are praising what's good. And then if you have any suggestions on what to work on, you keep that in its own separate block so that it doesn't get confusing. Um... Every good editor will do this. So editors I've had in the past, that's exactly how they structure their feedback too. So you can really hone in on those areas where you need to improve. 
Now, through the second read, that's when you find your technical issues. Um, so, for example, when the tense is changed, a misspelled word here or there. Um, also, <laughs> I'm not a great speller. I know some people like aren't great grammar people. So you can make it clear um, to the person you're being the beta for that you're not great at picking up those issues. So like you're really looking for kind of the overarching elements of the story when you read. Um, but t try to look for some technical things like that on your second read through. And being a good beta means that you are accepting work within the genre that you're most familiar with. So you're able to offer super targeted feedback to a person who, for example, writes fantasy because you yourself are a fantasy author and you can kind of pick up more closely on the tropes and what works and, and doesn't work and, and what trends are hot, things like that. If you're more well-versed in a genre um, and you can offer someone that, that will make you a very good beta reader. Um, you know, it's uh, it can be hard also, I find, with friends and family if they're readers of like Canadian fiction, for example, Canadian historical fiction, and you hand them a science fiction book, they're maybe not going to have like as good constructive criticism as someone who um, is like very well versed in that genre. So that's something you want to think about as well. Um, and where can I find a beta finally? So I would suggest looking outside your own friends and family if you want very honest feedback. Sometimes you just want to get the sense of if someone thinks it's a good story or in general what they thought, and that's totally fine. You can do that. But like I said before, if you want to get serious about writing, it's important to find a beta who can actually take you to the next level. So I would suggest looking for writing groups at your local library, for example, or on Facebook. Um, my sister is part of a writing group that she found on Facebook, and they've been going strong for like over a year. They do writing retreats together and everything. It's great. Online forums such as Reddit um, will have like beta readers willing to read your selection of work, um, but you have to interact with them on the online forum. And then I've done this a lot in the past. So I've done the Reddit beta exchange. I've also done this a lot. Um, the website, the website Fiverr, so F-I-V-E-R-R, -R, allows you to pay someone to read your book. <laughs> and I often do this. It's relatively cheap for quite a big return. So um, for example, my last book, Spellbound, I paid 20 bucks, someone 20 bucks to read the first five pages and give me a lot of feedback on them. And I just find it incredibly useful because I'm exchanging money for honest feedback. And the beta tells you in their profile everything they're interested in reading, what their style is, you know, how they like tend to give feedback out. And so you can really hone your selection to people who um hone your selection to people who are in your genre, who are interested in what you want to write. And not only that, like it is labor, like beta reading is labor and you are paying someone fairly for like a very decent amount of work that they're going to put in really reading your story. So I'm a huge fan of that. I've done it with all my novels that I'm very serious with. I think 
um, the beta reader who read um, Much Ado Over a Duke for the first time was also paid and she gave me incredible feedback. And that manuscript was the one that got me onto an app that pays me to write. So it's well worth your money if this is something you're considering, whether you're self-publishing, going to a publisher, you know, even if you want to publish like a really great piece of fan fiction, I would highly recommend doing it. It's only going to improve your writing. And, you know, as writers, we love our work, but at a certain point you have to kind of like kill your darlings is the famous phrase. And so getting a beta reader is part of that. Um, and yeah, like, I, I guess I just want to know what you guys think, Pat and Lance. I have sent stuff to people before who have read it and given me feedback, like a, okay. a couple, but I, I, not really. Like I've gotten feedback like one time. I've um, only done friends and family. Yeah. It's, it's tough, right? Like I, have like it's so funny because I think every time you tell someone oh yeah like you know I I hate and I hate it when it comes up in conversation because like people are always like oh I'd love to read your work and then I've taken people up on that and like sent them stuff and like they'll read one page and I'm like okay that's what I want to talk I want to talk about that yeah exactly I wrote that down because um I actually have a ton of things about what you said because this is this is a great intro um, okay. I think here. Well, let me go through one by one, but I definitely want. Sure. To no, go ahead. The most. Um, I think you definitely want to be on the same page on uh, about like the amount of criticism you want versus the amount of pump up you want. Like, I think for me, I consider myself like as as entry level as it gets, and I really appreciate how much like pump up and positive feedback you both give me. And then there's like less criticism, you know, like I know my book's not perfect, but and your criticism is really helpful. But I think that um, we have a lot like I uh, that works for me and I really like that about us. But I think it's good to be clear because some people are like, look, I just want tell me how to make it better. You know, and some people might, you know, some people might say, well, you can give me more positive feedback. That'll make me feel good and want to keep writing. I'd get some more negative feedback uh, when I'm done then I'm willing to take like harsher criticism when it's not going to like demotivate me from finishing the story. I totally agree with that, Pat. Yeah. I'm always like, I'm sending my stuff out to be read for criticism, like by like the Fiverr people or like on a beta exchange on Reddit, like when it's my first draft that's finished and that I've gone through myself and like tried to correct as many issues as possible. And then I send it off into the great unknown. I'm like, okay, whatever happens happens like I have to detach a little bit at that point yeah when I'm still writing I just want to make sure that I didn't write gibberish and like whatever so when I think you've mentioned you get like the confidence boost from it fully you like wrote down a whole bunch of stuff in a word document and it's nice to hear that it made sense when someone else read it totally absolutely uh another thing you said is don't don't be a spell checker that's pretty pretty good you should definitely should not be like i think nitpicking people's like spelling and and grammar and stuff i think the best thing to do here is if it's really important to you to do that print up like print off or do it in track changes correct everything give it to them and don't mention it like out loud you know what i mean because you don't want to waste time like going over like you use the word the wrong then and then well you can fix that later um but i don't think that's what most people are looking for substantially uh, which is funny because I 
nitpick the most for sure out of the three of us, I think. So, but you send us drafts that are completely full of spelling errors. I do. Yeah. I turn off spell check and I type as fast as I can. Good for you. (laughs) Um, so for, yeah. So getting beta readers, I think you definitely like, if you're going to go to the friends and family route, I think that's pretty tough. Uh, like, and obviously if you're just writing casually, you want to give it to someone for feedback. That's kind of, you're limited to that, right? Unless you want to go online. Uh, and you should be really clear with them that they should agree to do the whole, to read the whole thing. And you're definitely going to have, you might have like a friend or family members that are, that are, that say they're interested and then you'll send it to them. And then three months later, you ask them if they read it and they'll be like, oh, I didn't get around to it. I think a lot of people think they want to read your book because they're interested in like you as a person, because you're friends or family. But that doesn't mean that they're actually interested in your book itself. You know what I mean? Like they might think they are, but like I like just said, I, I think unless someone is familiar with the genre and is probably like, you can tell they're actually committed to putting a lot of time into reading what you've written, it's probably better to look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so Stephen King in his book on writing, which I've mentioned before on this podcast, um, but his wife, Tabitha King, is actually an author herself. And so he's like, every every first draft of my book like, goes to Tabitha and she takes it. And I'm like, well, obviously, because she's a writer. So like the feedback you're getting from your wife is like a very high quality, you know, and she's willing to do it. But like uh, Connor, my husband, who I love you know, he reads primarily nonfiction. Like it just, and, and he's not as vociferous a a reader as I am. So like, it just doesn't make sense. Right. The only time I'll ever go to him for feedback is if I'm like, does this sentence make sense? You know? So yeah, I'm so on, I'm bored with that, Lance. I, I agree. I've had so many times in my life where, a friend has been like, yeah, I'll read it. And then it's like, oh, okay. The one page I read was like really good. And I'm like, that is so unhelpful, but you know, thank you. So now I just kind of like smile and nod whenever someone's like, oh, I'll read it. I'm like, yeah, no, it's okay. We're just not going to even pretend. It's, I mean, it it is possible that someone would be a good beta reader. And like, that's again, like I said, like, unless you're going to go online, you kind of have to do friends and family, but maybe you're like, I don't know. I'm trying to think how I would do it now. Like, I have you two, obviously, who I send um, my stuff to. But if I was to ask them, I'd probably if, like if someone said they wanted to read my book, I'd probably ask them like, "What are the last three books you read, and in what time frame did you read those last three books?" Love it, um, Kev. Right? You're listening right now. Send that list to Lance. Uh, Kev's an avid listener of the podcast and wants to read your book, Lance. Awesome. Sounds good. And it, you're completely his genre. Awesome. Well, it just like makes the most sense to do like an exchange in a writer's group because you're all working towards something. You're all students of the craft. You know, you can all motivate each other. You all like know it's like you're on a team, right? And which is like crazy because writing is probably the loneliest thing a person can do, really. You know, you do it alone. You, motiv- you have to motivate yourself to like sit down and type out those words. Like it's very hard to do. And so, yeah, it's important. Like you, you need something to keep you going. And for a lot of people that don't have access to like writing groups, like getting a beta reader to read your stuff, like it is, that is part of the motivation, you know? For sure. 
For sure. It's like how on every fanfic, it's like at the bottom, oh my God, please rate and review. It's like, girl, I'm just trying to get those crumbs of praise so I can friggin' drag my ass over here. <laughs> okay, after I'm done cooking dinner and like mopping my kitchen floor to like write about how, I don't know, friggin' Galadriel and Sauron are in love with each other. Sorry, Ooh. was that a spoiler? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm shipping it. Was that a spoiler for the new Rings of Power? Maybe. I don't know. I haven't Is watched it? the show. Yeah, tell, tell us if that's a spoiler. I haven't watched it either. <laughs> You might have to bleep it out, Pat. <laughs> well, I think that's a great idea, and everyone who's listening should go get a beta reader right now. Um, I'm sold. I'm, I'm just send that. five pages. Yeah, like you have pages. nothing to lose. Like to send a cha- a first chapter of your book to someone who has no relationship to you and could probably make you cry. You know, just see how it feels. You can get that one. You could go to. I think it's Destructive Readers on Reddit. <laughs> Oh and my god, just rip stop. your shit apart. Yeah, if you want. <laughs> oh my god. You know what? I would actually be willing to do that. Really? I would Put be a 2008 willing to do that. Fanfic on destructive readers, please. Okay, so why don't we do I could do a chapter of like my published book because I'm like, oh, I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, I'm dead. That's sweet. You yeah. know, I've made money off of, like people have paid me to read this, so <laughs> you know what I mean? Idea. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be hilarious. Oh, we can get hope well well definitely we'll produce some new type of one star review with Jess from <laughs> Jess putting her shit on destructive readers. You know, I, like yeah, just me reading those with a big ass glass of wine. That's gonna be awesome. All right. That's what it'd have to be. <laughs> Let's do the summary. We're getting into it now. Cassie has been taken away with Berenike and is under surveillance. They chat about Milo's fate and Berenike urges her not to worry too much. Milo wakes up in a cell in Eludus, a gladiator school in Rome. He has been sentenced to fight a legendary warrior with blonde hair known only as Albus. He is unsure whether the fight is to the death or not. Meanwhile, in Alexandria, Hugh awakes to find Ulrich eating breakfast. Ulrich eventually tells him about how he stumbled upon the rip. It happened when his IT company was searching for coveted Roman lead, which they would eventually sell to physicists. Going through the rip, Best team has negotiated with Julius Caesar to drop Roman lead in specific locations where workers in modern times would find it and eventually sell it. However, when Caesar died, Best alludes to a disagreement that led to a fissure with Octavian. Mark Antony interrupts, and alludes to the fact that Hugh will help him beat Octavian, in what way he was not sure. Cassie and Berenike wake up and are disguised as Vestal Virgins. They are brought with Octavian's revenue, retinue to the games. There, they meet Marcus Agrippa and Lepidus. Cassie notices Milo walk into the arena. So I thought this part was awesome. Uh, it was really, really, really good. It was, um, and I think... It was at a really good pace, but I can tell it's it's obviously leading into something, right? This is like the buildup for a big action scene. Uh, I thought Berenike was uh, really interesting. and It's like she's on Cassie's side. So I was a bit, I'm looking to see where that takes us. Like she wants to help Cassie get info. She doesn't want her to, she doesn't say Cleopatra's name in front of the slaves so that they don't get caught for treason or anything. Uh, so I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, Maybe she's also like a double agent uh, working against Cassie. So who knows? We'll see. 
Um, and the gall that you mentioned, Albus, looks pretty scary. Uh, so that was good. I was interested, how does Milo know that he's in Alexandria? Um, he probably recognized the pyramids, right? But I don't know how he would know it was Alexandria. Do you mean Hugh? Yeah, I meant Hugh. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Hugh. Oh, no, no problem. Because like he says he's he realizes in Alexandria, like ancient Alexandria or future Alexandria. Has he not been there before? Yeah, but only in the present. No, that's fine. I can work that in. That's a that's a good that's a good point out. Probably the pyramids is or you know, yeah, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would think so. Well, um, there aren't really any pyramids in Alexandria, so it'd probably yeah. be the lighthouse. Okay, awesome. Yeah, but I would say one sentence would be nice yeah. there for why he recognizes it. Um, I thought in the Milo scene in the in the Ludus, there was really good imagery there. I thought that was uh, a really really well written couple of paragraphs. Uh, we really get his emotion, um, fear, anger. Um, we get the smells. I thought it was really high quality prose. Uh, some of the best I think we've uh, had it all in, in any of our writing. So I thought that was really good. Um, the And I was wondering, is the Roman lead for science, is that a real thing? I wrote that down too. Is Roman lead a thing? It is a real thing, guys. Really? What is it? it? Is yes. A Why? What's special about it? It's the way particles move through it. But there's a whole article I can send you guys. But we, we talked about it in my university class on ancient Rome. Because hmm. it's still a debate that's raging out there now. Oh, okay, cool. Very cool. I like that. I like that it's real. That makes, uh, I think that makes the story really compelling. Uh, and you also, I like that when you mentioned, when you explained, when, um, when, when best explains the rip you answer a problem like they kind of have to answer like when you have a space like a time travel story you have to explain some things about it and what you explain is that history is like at this one specific time in the past is unfolding at the same speed as today right so there's the timeline right now and today and then there's also the the timeline in the ancient the ancient rome timeline but there's no other timelines right you know what i mean and also um, you can't go past like you can't go back further than they are now and changing the right like no they couldn't ambush cassie by having been there already or whatever or at least from what we know so far it seems like there's two parallel timelines uh but you know there could be plot twists we'll see um, but I thought that was well explained. So now we kind of know that exactly like Pat said, like we're not expecting to get ambushed. Uh, I thought it was, that made me, um, just think about this to such a, the, now that I kind of get selling the ancient lead, I kind of understand. And I feel like this is a really cool story, especially now that I know that the, the lead is, is, uh, is a real thing. Like they're mining valuable resources from the past, but they need to defeat Augustus to keep the business going, right? And I just think it's such a cool concept. And I like that you worked in the that lead is the lead thing is real. I really like that. It's really cool. Um, it was nice to see Augustus and Agrippa from Berenica's perspective. That was really cool. And at one point, Berenica had a perceived insult. 
and I didn't know what it was. Could you tell me what it was? Are we supposed to know? Um, so like, I think, um, what I'm referring to there is just like the manhandling or like Cassie doesn't really know any different, but you, you get the sense that, you know, Berenike is like, she's from the house of Ptolemy, you know, she's like an, maybe more important than what she's letting on, you know? So she doesn't like the rough handling. She doesn't, you know, being crowded into places, but I, I can make that more obvious, but yeah, that's kind of her perceived mistreatment. You could leave it as is maybe have Cassie think about it as well. Like throw in like one sentence about, um, but yeah. Okay. That sounds good. I think it's, I think it's fine as it is. You get out like one sentence, but I think it's fine as it is. Okay. Um, and last thing, I'm super pumped for the fight. Milo walks out. This Albus guy, you showed Albus's competence in like two sentences. Uh, so I'm really excited for the fight and to see what Milo's got up his sleeve. I know. I'm so scared. No, it's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be fun to write too, I'm sure. I, I will have to watch Gladiator. I'll have to put that on or Ben her or something. Anyway, it'll all be fine. Ooh, a good opportunity also for what we talked about last week, watching a YouTube video of what the actual fighting would look exactly. like. Exactly. Sure, you can find that on YouTube, what an actual gladiator fight would look like. One hundred percent. And this is fun because I think that Lance, we're gonna have some crossover or like, you know, I feel like I'm so humbled to be handing over this piece, right, to you who has written great fight scenes and stuff like that. So this is something kind of new to me and Anyway, it'll be good. I'm that's going to be awesome. All right. Well, that's all my comments. I thought it was great. I uh, can't wait to read the rest. Thank you. Uh, I also had fun with this one. It, um, I really like... So all three of the main characters are in the past. They kind of have all gotten their different ways. And now I really... And that, that was kind of the last submission was them all getting there. And now I really like the three completely different kind of states they're in. Um, all within like the same like you know Alexandria of the past um so Milo is like obviously the most familiar with the past uh and it's probably as familiar as the present right so he should be somewhat more comfortable than everyone else but he's actually like has to fight for his life in in this moment he's off to like be a gladiator but he still like shows that he's comfortable in the past because he's you know, haggling with the guard for better food for his last meal, which I thought was really funny. And uh, anyways, yeah, I like that. That still came through that, that he's obviously been there before. And he asked for the bread from like the specific, was it a, a town or a restaurant? That he it's asked an for? area. It's an of, area. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Cassie is slight, is like completely out of her element, but at least she knew where she was going. And like, she's kind of in charge of her own mission. She's gone there on purpose. Um, so her problem is like, she's worried sick about Milo. She like can't sleep and, and she's uncomfortable, but she's, yeah, at least knows what she's supposed to be doing. Um, and she's made a friend who maybe is going to be able to help her. Um, she does say like, uh, Milo, I don't think I, like, I couldn't do this without him or whatever at the very end. Right. And like, you have to win this fight. I won't be able to do this without you. Which, like, I think I tend to agree with her. I think you'd have to be pretty, like, you'd have to know where you're going and what you're doing to make this plan happen. And maybe her, what's her friend's name again? 
Berenike. Berenike. Maybe Berenike could help her, but I don't really know why she would yet. Anyways, so yeah, her predicament really is with Milo right now in this moment. And then Hugh is just completely lost. It's awesome. He doesn't even know what like time period he's in. He's figured out that he's in Alexandria, but he doesn't know if it's like the future or the past. Um, Best is giving him like weird cryptic answers that don't completely answer his questions. And, uh, and yeah, he's now signed up to work for uh, Marcus Antonius uh, against Octavian, which I thought was a very interesting like situation to put someone in. And I was trying to think of how I would react in that situation. Like, I don't know, events from 2000 years ago seem like so in stone. And, but do you take sides? Like he, he does say something about how Mark Antony is a, you know, killed a lot of people in war or whatever earlier in the story or in this, in the submission. So maybe that's leaning towards, he doesn't want to help him, but I don't know. It seems pretty arbitrary. And and uh, I have no literally have no idea what he's gonna do, which I don't think he does in this moment either. Um, so yeah, he's very very confused, and it came through super well. Uh, and I chose a different little thing to sniff out that I really liked from the writing. Uh, I'm not dreaming, he said out loud, then touched the stone. This is real. He went back to sleep, feeling more calm, detached from whatever terrible fate had brought him there, wondering if he acknowledged the strangeness around him. Perhaps it would vanish into the night. Anyways, I really like that. Um, and then I had, is Roman let a thing? Which obviously it is. Oh, here's my other question. Um, would the Ro- like? So he said there's a lot of money changing hands. Would they care about money? Should it be gold at least? Or like, they can trade whatever from the present. Surely there's something that best can give them that's better than money oh isn't that interesting okay so that's become my hot take they are trading modern weaponry for for uh and then we're gonna have a freaking modern arrow warfare maybe okay maybe maybe i I, I, you flew a bit too close on to the sun on that okay i was gonna say information oh information science information is probably more useful i don't think i don't know if anyone's crazy enough to introduce modern warfare but Uh, maybe they can't bring back those things like actually that's a good question anyway that's something else maybe i could answer maybe there's something you have you have to prevent them from having the SWAT team come yeah Okay. Anyways, that was what I was thinking about during that part. Um, that's all I have. I, I, yeah, it was a good part. Really fun. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm here for you guys. I'm so glad. Yeah, I, I, I'm starting to like this book now, and it's like halfway through. So the the light is at the end of the tunnel, which is great. Nice. Yeah. And your scene, you finally set up your scene. Holy Octavian, shit. the gladiators. It's if happening. you knew how torturous writing that Cassie scene, going up, sitting down, getting the stage set, I was like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And then Milo walks walks out onto the sand. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Okay, good. I got it to there. So now I feel like 
where there's a lot of action happening it sometimes it feel it can like go very quickly to write so i'm hoping that's going to be the case cliffhangers work for the writer too i guess hmm. there you go i do have a hot take yes um, is this book a milo cast romance story no that's my hot take oh, okay well just oh wondering. sorry i worth a shot hot take. <laughs> it was oh really okay no there's not gonna be any romance i think sounds good (laughs) yeah i was thinking about it but then i was like no i don't care in and out and done i mean it is a fast-paced fun interesting story so if you like i don't think i mean i think it's great the way it is thank you Well, um, good a place as any to throw in that next week we're going to be talking about Twilight. So exciting. Watching the movie, which Lance has never watched. Nope. But Pat, you watched recently. I watched it maybe a day after finishing the book. I think I watched it immediately after uh, we recorded the book club. Do you think the book or... Well, no, maybe we should save this. Actually, no, this would be a good teaser. Do you think the book or the movie is better? Oh, I don't know. I think they're both different um, in their own way. I don't know. We'll we'll save it. I don't want to give my movie review yet, but it's um, it's definitely a film. It was filmed for sure. <laughs> a glowing review. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is part of like my rose colored glasses, but I feel like the film is good. Oh, okay. When's but I haven't watched, watched it, it in maybe five years. Okay. That's not so bad. As if you could have run me. My my friend gave me the hottest take, like truly the hottest take of the century. And when I say my friend, I I actually mean a podcast host on a very famous podcast. But basically he was like Robert Pattinson have I said this on the podcast before he was like Robert Pattinson is the Nicolas Cage of our generation yeah you have said that and it was awesome I I mean like I'm very like because these were his breakout movies and I I don't know I I think he's not phoning it in 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 Twilight I think he's like very into it playing a vampire Who's what's her name? The actress again? Kristen Stewart. I think she's the Nicolas Cage of our generation. Poor, poor Kristen Stewart. That's all I have to say. Anyways, so stay tuned for that. Um, do you have any games for us, Jess? I was thinking we could do a fanfic or classic lit. Ooh. I still haven't got one of these. So. I'm just trying to think. Guys, there's a lot of Bible fan fiction out out there. Okay, I didn't want to suffer alone with that knowledge, so I've just told you. There's 4,000. There's 4,000 separate fanfic about the Bible. Really? Are we doing a Bible fanfic or classic lit? (laughs) I don't think that's possible. I think you would guess that right away. Let's let's stick to the let's stick to the genre. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we'll do Pride and Prejudice. 
great. I've never read it. Same. Okay, well, this will be hard for you then. It's a 500,000 word romance. That's what I know about it. Okay. Bingley and Darcy. Those are, that's the only way to say those names. Sorry. Bingley and Darcy rode the perimeter of the estate, taking note of the areas which the land needed additional drainage, the condition of the tenants' houses, the amount of underbrush in Netherfield's woods. It was clear that the estate had been under lax governance for many years. Darcy wondered if the estate had any tenants left, considering the state of disrepair that the houses were in. He suggested to Bingley that he send an express to Mr. Morris, the solicitor owner of Netherfield, relating the condition of the tenant housing. By rights, the owner should pay to repair the damage that had been wrought by his indolence, but Darcy doubted the man would be moved to do so. If he did not, they wouldn't have to visit Mr. Phillips to see what could legally be done to make the man care for those under his purview. If nothing could be done, Bingley and himself would fund the project. What are your thoughts, Lance? I think it's fanfic. Yeah, see, I think it went on a little long. I mean, it's an extremely long book, so maybe that's not a good clue. But it seemed like a little drawn out for that guy's assessment of the manor. Um, that was actually fanfic. You both are right. Awesome. And hilarious that it went into that great detail um, uh, about the estates, but not unusual for Jane Austen. Okay, I have another selection here. Mr. Bingley was good looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. His sisters were fine women with an air of decided fashion. His brother-in-law, Mr. Hurst, merely looked the gentleman, but his friend, Mr. Darcy, soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble mien, and the report and the report which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance of his having 10,000 a year. The gentleman pronounced him to be a fine figure of a man. The ladies declared he was much handsomer than Mr. Bingley, and he was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening till his manners gave a disgust which turned the tide of his popularity, for he was discovered to be proud above his company and above being pleased. And not all his large estate in Derbyshire could then save him from having the most forbidding, disagreeable countenance and being unworthy to be compared with his friend. Um, I... I'd like to know how many periods were in that selection. It sounded to me like that was one extremely run. It sounded like sentence. one with a couple semicolons. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was a single sentence? Pretty much. I'm going with classic lit. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you again. Classic lit. You're two for two. Wow. Awesome. Do you see what I mean, though, about, like, I think the the fanfic selection I picked was also good. Yeah. Yeah. I could be a beta reader. It was similar to that. Yeah. Classic lit. If I was going to be a beta reader, I would have trouble skipping the grammatical errors. I would be trying to tell them to change their writing style going forward. If, If you were Jane Austen's beta. Yeah, exactly. Nice. I preferred the fanfic. <laughs> oh, that's you know what? So that that fanfic was what was it called? 
Such Happy Manners by Joy Thomas. 60K words. Nice. Oh, that's reasonable. Updated 22 hours ago. So updated very recently. No way. Good for them. Yes. Let me, let also, me also we, look. We each went two for two on a book we, either of us have read. And, and it has Pretty 152 close. reviews out there right now. So Joy Thomas, good job. You get a shout out from us. You know? Good it's job. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that's all we have for today. If you want to do the homework for next week's episode, you'll be able to find some of our latest work posted over at patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to just keep writing. Do, 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 do. Sorry. I had to do the outro.